Good morning, my name is Fred Loskamp. For those who don't know me, this morning I want to take you through a portion of scripture that is my prayer will show you a couple of things. Number one, why our world is in such a mess. Number two, why you don't have to worry about it. And number three, how precious the word of God is. But before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, take me and use me as your instrument to bring your word to your people. For your honor and for your glory. Not for me, for anyone else, but for you alone. Take me, use me, bless me, and bless those who hear your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage we're about to explore and answer questions. Why are things going absolutely crazy in this world? I mean, you have to admit they are, okay? So let's begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Wow. This particular passage helps us understand the meaning of God's wrath and how it is being revealed in the world today. At the outset, we have to ask a question. What is God's wrath? What is God's wrath? Some people view it as uh, it's kind of a holy temper tantrum that God has when we don't please him. That's not at all what God's wrath is. God's wrath is the natural and necessary expression of his holiness against sin. God's wrath is the natural and necessary expression of his holiness against sin. Any questions? <laughs> because he is infinitely holy, he cannot love what is good without hating what is evil. God is infinitely holy, and he has to hate what is evil. And when he makes his move, the Bible views that response as his wrath. W-R-A-T-H, wrath. In Romans 1.18, we see the revelation of God's wrath. Paul is talking about something that is going on right now. This letter was written to the church at Rome back in 60-some A.D., Things were no different then than they are now. The same conditions existed then as exist now. Everything was going to pot, if I can put it that way. God's wrath has been as continually and effectively operating in the world all the time. God's wrath is operating all the time. It's coming from heaven, the presence of God. And according to God's inspired word, is reigning right now, is reigning God's wrath. Look at the object of God's wrath. All the ungodliness and the righteousness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. That's what is making God very unsettled. Unrighteousness refers to wrong actions against God and others. 
wrong attitudes about God that lead to wrong actions, sinful actions. All sin is an attack on the truth about God. The picture Paul wants to see is that all over the world, all over the world, the truth about God is breaking out and springing up in various ways, but people are holding it back, pushing it down, covering it up, squelching it by their sin. Paul is not talking about wrath being placed upon a particular political movement, nor a particular group. God's wrath, as disclosed here, is being revealed upon individuals, just like you and I. Individuals can become a group that would compromise people upon whom God's wrath is being revealed. In this case, is being revealed upon individuals only. When that happens, when God reveals his wrath, God, in his perfect holiness, must respond to what man is doing with the truth that God gives us every day. Every day. God's wrath is not being revealed nor visited upon the person who believes in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have a problem. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period, in quotation. You don't have to worry about God's wrath. Okay? If you know Jesus Christ. This was a short explanation of the wrath of God. Now we want to discuss the reasons for God's wrath. And for that, we take a look at chapter, Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, them, because God has made it plain to them. The very first word in this text is since. Since what may be known about God is plain to God, is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Some reasons for the wrath of God come in the form of steps down. First reason, they knew about God, because that word them refers to the whole world generally, but particularly to the Gentile world, you and I. Just how does God make it plain to them? Through his creation. In his creation, God implants in every one of us that intuitive knowledge of himself. Because it says in Romans 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are, who, without excuse. Every day you wake up, the sun is there. When you go to bed, the moon is there. The stars are there at night. The sky is beautiful. The rain comes when it's needed. The thunder and the lightning come. God's power is revealed in each and every one of those things. Every day we can see God's power and God's powerful Since the creation of the world. You know how long ago that's been? A long time. We're probably, say, 
7,000 years off from creation, God's greatness is being revealed every day to all of us. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, God's greatness is being revealed to us. We can learn from creation that there has to be a God. I mean, how did all this come together? How did all this happen? Think about your own body. All those things that are working inside your body, even right now, from your mind to your toenails. Thousands of things working together to keep you alive. And you have no control over it. God controls it all. He made it all. Who designed the human body? God. And all the things that are in it? God. And all the things that are outside of it? God. There has to be a God. You know, we don't learn about the Trinity from creation. Not at all. But we do learn about his Godhood. There has to be something out there that's bigger than I am. A lot bigger, if I can put it that way. Even the psalmist says so in Psalm 19, which we read this morning. The heavens declare. The heavens declare. The heavens declare. Does man? No. The heavens do. We know that in the depths of our being there has to be a God and that that God is real. Period in quotation. We have to understand there is a moral order in this world. God made this world in such a way that if we break his laws, it is at our peril. Peril. But into this dilemma of man there comes the love of God. And by an act of free grace, he lifts man out of the consequences of sin and saves him from the wrath we should have incurred. In the world, we can see God. It's Paul's argument that when we look at the world, we also see suffering follows sin. No doubt about it. You break the law of agriculture, your crops fail. Break the laws of architecture, your building collapses. Break the laws of health, your body suffers. Paul is saying, look at the world. See how it is constructed. From a world like that, you know what God is like. The sinner is left without an excuse. But here's the next step downward in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were weakened. Knowing very well that there is a God, they willfully ignored him. They failed to give him glory, refused to give him any thanks for what he has done for them. Without God in their life, they lost their ability to reason clearly. What did the sinner do? Instead of looking to God, He looked into himself. He made his ideas, his opinions, his speculations, the standard and the law of his life instead of the will of God. The sinner's quest consisted in making man the master of everything. He found his standards in his own opinions and not in the will of God. The result of this leads straight to idolatry. They embraced false gods, Romans 
1, 22, and 23. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. When man turns away from the one true God, he will inevitably create other gods to take his place, resulting in idolatry. Paul repeats the same idea in Romans one twenty-five. Really, how stupid can man be? How stupid can they be? But some may protest to make images of lowly creatures of worship and serve and ignore the creator who made everything. That's ridiculous. But it is exactly what the great majority of the world does. You may say, well, that applies to primitive people of the world, but not we educated, civilized people. We don't do those things. Think about this. To worship is to ascribe supreme worth or value to someone or something. To worship is to ascribe supreme worth to someone or something. How about some of our sports heroes? Our movie stars. What about our music celebrities? We worship them before the shrine of the sacred television or whatever it may be. Then there are money and material possessions. A house, a car, camper, boat, stereo, video camera, cell phone, tablets, thousands of things. Then there are abstract idols we could have. Power, prestige, success, beauty, or adventure that we give ourselves. Some people even ascribe higher value and worth to their pets than they ascribe to the Lord. At least they give more time and attention to their pets than they give to the Lord. We're not immune. Not any of us are immune. Reading through the scripture, we see that Paul mentions birds and four-footed beasts and creepy things. All of this, and we wonder... Why Almighty God is obliged to reveal his wrath? The reasons are clear enough. And what happens in the world when we reach the need for God to reveal his wrath? We read in Romans 1.24 and Romans 32. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Read that very carefully. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies and with one another. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Think about that. It's stunning. That very first word, therefore. Now we are going to find out what God did because mankind willfully ignored him and then brazenly replaced him. Paul tells us three times in verses 24, 26, and 28 what God does. God gave them up. God gave them up. In other words, he let them go their own way. 
so that they might experience the full destructive consequences of their own sin. God gave them up. When you look at the pornography, the murder, the hatred, the sinful lust, and all the things that are going on in this world, you see the result of God's wrath. God gave them up. God's wrath, which is continuously being revealed from heaven, is actually God removing his restraints and letting sinful people sin more and more until their hearts are hardened and their lives are ruined. It's a terrible thing to talk of God abandoning anyone. And yet there are two reasons for that. Number one, God gave man free will. And he respects that free will. Man can surrender his free will to God or to the devil. One or the other. Secondly, in abandonment, there's judgment. It's a fact of life that the more man sins, it becomes easier and easier to sin. You know, God never condemns anyone to hell. The individual does that all by his actions and choices. God has no alternative when he, God, is refused. That's the only choice. Paul tells us there are three things to which God gave them up. In verses 24 through 24, 5. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things reserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Tell me that does not apply to our society today. I don't think any of you can. None of us. No one. Now we're going to find out something. When you see the pornography, all the murder, the hatred, the sinful lust, and all the things that are going on in this world, you see the result of God's wrath. That's exactly what you're seeing. God is allowing people, allowing men and women to degrade themselves. And they're convicting themselves. God's wrath, which is continuously being revealed from heaven, is actually God removing his restraints and letting sinful people sin more and more until their hearts are hardened and their lives are ruined. Did you ever have a child who came to you and said, Mom or Dad, I want to do this or that? And you said, No. And they went out and did it anyway. And something turned bad. And they came back and you said to them, Uh-huh, I told you so. God is our Father. He does the same thing with us. Sometimes he allows us to go our own way. And when we do... It's a terrible thing. So God gave them up to immorality. Secondly, God gave up to them up to abnormality in verses 26 through 27 in Romans chapter 1. He gave them up to abnormality. Because of this, what went ahead, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves due penalty for their errors. Any questions that it doesn't apply to today? You have to admit it. That's an exact description of our society today. Paul wrote this almost 3,000 years ago. Nothing has changed. Nothing at all. By natural relations, Paul could have meant nothing else but what the Creator intended. The natural order of things as God established them. It's very clear that what is against nature can mean nothing other and what is contrary to God's design and desires. The scripture says that heterosexual relations are what God intended, and homosexual relations are contrary to what he intended. The world may try to convince us that homosexuality is an acceptable lifestyle, but God's word says it's abnormal and it's sinful. That includes any other form of sexual relations that man can devise. Thirdly, God gave up them, them up to depravity. In Romans 1, 28 through 32. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what not ought to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. Hmm. The last thing God gave them up to is depravity. God gave them up to their own depraved reason and all that involves. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, disobeying their parents, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Our world today. Paul lists the sins that we are familiar with in our society. So when someone asks you why times are so difficult and unusual, point them to this portion of scripture. Because it's as plain as the nose on your face. And if you can't see it, you must be blind. There are people who are creating a climate in our world more favorable to sinful behavior. You see it every day. It's right in front of you every day. From our present down to the lowest person. They're creating a climate to sinful behavior. And they're saying it's legal. That is even worse than doing it. Paul says the wrath of God is being continually revealed from heaven against ungodliness and the unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. The people by their unrighteousness suppress the truth that we know about God. So God's wrath is expressed by his allowing man to sin. And he does this by withdrawing all of his expressions of love. That's why the world is in such a mess today. What does this mean to you and to I?
There's a story in English literature that was written by Lewis Carroll, a man who lived in the 1800s. The story he wrote is entitled Alice in Wonderland. Some of you probably read it. Most probably not. Alice is a young girl who was in her home one day looking at her looking glass. Now, old English, okay? Looking glass was a mirror. We call them mirrors today, okay? And Alice had this thought in her mind. She would walk up the looking glass and when she did, what did she see? Herself. Of course, when you get up in the morning, you go in the bathroom and you look in the mirror, what do you see? Yourself. Alice thought, hmm, what would it be like on the other side of the mirror? The other side of the glass? Can I get in there? That's what Lewis Carroll wrote about. So, Alice stepped into her looking glass and she found a different world, a totally different world. You know, before each and every one of us, there's a looking glass. And we can look into it. When we see this glass, we have the opportunity to do one of two things. First, we can look at the glass and see how it's made. Oh, it's clear. No distortion. Clean. Don't have to clean it anymore. We even admire stained glass windows, which we can't even see through. When we look at that glass and notice how it is framed and the beauty of its makeup, sometimes we become enthralled with the glass. Or we can look through the glass to see the beauty it discloses to us. Did you ever get up in the morning and look through the window, the glass? What do you see? The beauty that discloses to you. The trees, the birds, whatever's outside, the glass you're looking through. It's beautiful. Or we, when we do that, we're in a sense drawing through the glass into what the glass discloses. You see the analogy I'm drawing? The glass is here. We're here. We can do one of the things. Look at ourselves. Or look at what's behind the glass. That's what Lewis Carroll was talking about. You know, when you look at that, read that, it's an apt description of the Bible. It really is. Many of us have the Bible. And the question is, how do you approach your Bible? Your looking glass. One approach looks into Myers' binding. Ah, that's really pretty. It's put together. Fantastic. That is nice. You know? Light, big print. Ah, I can read very easily. We can aspire, we, we, can, uh, um, we can admire its color. Mine's red, yours may be black, maybe a blue one, doesn't matter, whatever it is. The fact that the book is a real work of art. I was in printing all my life, I know how books are put together. When I look at a book, I look at it this way. I can see whether it's perfect bound or saddle stitch. That's the thing that interests me. A lot of people do that same. 
okay? You know, its pages are trimmed in gold. <laughs> Look at it. Isn't that beautiful? Might be real, might not be. Who knows? And it is to be admired when it sits on the coffee table. You know what I mean? When it sits on the coffee table. And year after year it sits on the coffee table. And it sits on the coffee table. And it sits on the coffee table. Or we can step into it like Alice. We can step into this looking glass. Through your Bible you can see the working, the character, and the holiness of the God of the Bible discloses. We all have all we have to do is put forth the effort to look beyond the book to the author of the book. That's our looking glass. And when you do that, it will change your life. I guarantee it. You know, when you really look at life, there are but two choices to make in life. We either decide to move closer to God or move further away from Him. One or the other. As we pointed out earlier, when we move far enough away, God says, Bye. He lets us go our own way. He does that. To move closer to God requires commitment to Him as a son of His. He then instills in us a real desire to know Him even better. The way we come to know him is through the Bible and the church. The church of Jesus Christ has the purpose of bringing us closer in our relationship to God, each and every one of us. To move away from God requires commitment as well. As we begin to move away, each step we take becomes easier and easier and easier and easier and easier and on the table it becomes a real pretty book. It's very easy to do. As Paul says, God allows us to be on our own when we do that. Blind to anything spiritual and separated from him forever in this life and the next. And the next. Notice something. This passage, Paul never mentions the name of Jesus. Never mentioned Jesus' name. That is because he's leading up to that name as the ultimate expression of the nature of God. God loved us so much, he gave us a looking glass and his son who is the exact image of him, God the Father. If you want to see God, look to Jesus. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, look to Jesus. This looking glass tells you exactly how to do that. No matter what your condition is, really. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ displays the quality, nature, characteristics, and everything, everything else about God. 
you want to know about God, learn about Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about it. Yet man refuses to acknowledge Christ as what he truly is, God's son, the one who died on the cross for us. He is the son of God, incarnated to live in this world to reveal the God Father to man. Given the foregoing, plus all that Jesus means to us, how can we deny, how can we refute, suppress the truth? The answer Paul would give is, you can't. There's no way to do it. There's no way you can refute it. But you know, as I pointed out earlier, God gave each man free will. And it's ours to give to whomever we want. But there are only two choices in all of the universe. One is God. The other is Satan. Where are you putting your free will choice today? Are you looking into your looking glass that's on your table, that's been there for 33 years, that hasn't moved one inch, that's never been opened, and when you do it, it cracks like crazy? Or do you have one that's been read and you're reading it? But more so, you're applying what you read to your life. When you read a secular book, you get drawn into that book because of the plot, the people, and everything in it, and you imagine yourself in that situation. Same-o, same-o. <laughs> it really is. When you get drawn into this book, you get drawn into God himself. What could be better than that? I ask you, what could be better than that? Don't be one who suppresses the truth by their unrighteousness. And it's very easy to do that. You'll be well accepted in the world today. You'll be well applauded. You'll be thought of as a great thinker and one who thinks outside the box. I hate to tell you this. The box is not confining. The box gives life. The box gives eternal life. And I pray that each and every one of us here will realize today that that box that God wants us to be in is his box where he blesses us, shows himself to us, reveals himself to us, and shows us how much he loves us. And I would pray today that if you don't know this Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today would be the day you would do that. That you would surrender, surrender your will to God and say to him, I realize now what Jesus Christ did for me. That he died on the cross that I might have eternal life with you. And I thank you for that. And if that is your prayer, that's the purpose of this church. Our purpose is is to disclose Jesus Christ to you and nothing else. We do do other things, but they're not as important as that. That's the most important thing you will ever experience in your life is your commitment to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so convicting.
And it's stunning to think that you will allow us to go to the nth degree and then you turn us over. You leave us go our way. It's stunning. I just want to thank you that one day you reached down into my life, you caught my attention, showed me your will for it, and I gave it to you. I thank you. I don't know why you did all that, but I certainly do thank you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.